Hi, I'm Allie Raisman. I've been living with migraine for a while. As an athlete and gymnast, I was taught to just power through the pain. Now I use Ubrelvi or Ubrojapan to treat my migraine attacks. As soon as I feel a migraine attack, I take Ubrelvi, which provides me with quick relief. Once I get relief, I go on with my day. I'm partnering with Ubrelvi to share my migraine story. Ubrelvi quickly stops migraine in its tracks within two hours without worrying where you are. Most people had quick pain relief within two hours. Ubrelvi treats migraine attacks in adults and is not for prevention. It's available by prescription only. Do not take Ubrelvi with strong CYP3A4 inhibitors. Tell your healthcare provider about all the medicines you take. Most common side effects are nausea and tiredness. My hope is that by sharing my migraine story and the relief I get from Ubrelvi, it can help someone else. Ask your doctor about Ubrelvi, the anytime, anywhere migraine medicine. Learn more at ubrelvy.com or call 844-4-U-B-R-E-L-V-Y. Sponsored by AbbVie. I've confronted hundreds of men over two decades. I have been in television for 24 years. I just came to get something to eat. And I have very seldom been at a loss for words. I just came to get something to eat. Men online looking for children to sexually assault. What's the motive here? It's, Explain to me. I'm no, not you're right. No, you're right. It's stupid. It's, it's not. It's an illegal no. thing. Yeah, I know. I did a stupid thing. Men from all walks of life. A doctor. A teacher. A clergyman. You sent pornographic pictures through the mail. Okay, that's a federal offense right there. You know I'm in trouble. And I know it. I tried to get into their heads and understand why. Who we have tonight? Uh, I, I want to know who you are. I want to know a little bit more about you first. Can I eat first? Sure, go ahead. Let's see if any of this sounds familiar while you enjoy your pizza. And ultimately, make sure they face justice. You ask her if she's a virgin. I ask everybody all kinds of stuff. It's just talk. You ask her if she's horny. What's wrong with that? You ask if she does anal. It's a question. Question. Who are they? Have they tried to prey on other children? And where are... Hi, I'm Allie Raisman. I've been living with migraine for a while. As an athlete and gymnast, I was taught to just power through the pain. Now I use Ubrelvi or Ubrojapan to treat my migraine attacks. As soon as I feel a migraine attack, I take Ubrelvi, which provides me with quick relief. Once I get relief, I go on with my day. I'm partnering with Ubrelvi to share my migraine story. Ubrelvi quickly stops migraine in its tracks within two hours without worrying where you are. Most people had quick pain relief within two hours. Ubrelvi treats migraine attacks in adults and is not for prevention. It's available by prescription only. Do not take Ubrelvi with strong CYP3A4 inhibitors. Tell your healthcare provider about all the medicines you take. Most common side effects are nausea and tiredness. My hope is that by sharing my migraine story and the relief I get from Ubrelvi, it can help someone else. Ask your doctor about Ubrelvi, the anytime, anywhere migraine medicine. Learn more at ubrelvi.com or call 844-4-U-B-R-E-L-V-Y. Sponsored by AbbVie. Are they now? These are the predators I've caught. I'm Chris Hansen. Without question the most controversial predator I've caught is Lewis William Conrad Jr. And everyone who listens to this podcast knows exactly who that is. Bill Conrad, as he was known, 
was a 56-year-old assistant district attorney in Texas. And he surfaced during our November 2006 to catch a predator investigation in Murphy, Texas. Perverted Justice was involved, the online watchdog group, and we partnered, collaborated with the Murphy Police Department, which had worked with Perverted Justice in the past, to do a sting operation. A number of men showed up. Some of them I have profiled here on this podcast. But it's Bill Conrad who probably out of all the predators I've caught had the most to lose. We've had police officers surface in our investigations, one just a a matter of weeks ago in one of our recent investigations. We've had them in the past, people with Homeland Security. But this, this was a case where an assistant district attorney had gone online and conducted two different chats with decoys posing as a 13-year-old boy. And we'll get into those chats in just a moment here. He also had phone calls with the decoy posing as a 13-year-old. Now, Conrad never showed up at our sting house, but the police, the Murphy police, had enough information to get an arrest warrant and go arrest him during the weekend of the sting. And we're going to get into detail here. There was a lawsuit against NBC filed by Conrad's sister for $105 million. It was settled, ultimately. And we'll get into that in just a moment as well. We felt we were in the right all along. But Conrad's sister hired a lawyer. And she wanted to claim that somehow Dateline was responsible for what the police did which is just not true. And we'll break that down as well. And joining me in this episode of Predators I've Caught is Kevin Carter, a 17-year law enforcement veteran who was actually working for the Murphy Police Department during this sting operation. And Kevin had done earlier investigations exposing men trying to meet children online for sex in Murphy. So we had some experience here. So when we partnered again, collaborated with Perverted Justice in Murphy, it was because the police department knew there was an issue and wanted to catch people trying to do this, catch predators, and send a message to the community that Murphy wasn't going to stand for this. Kevin also has written a book called Suspicious Death, and we'll provide links in the notes so you can check that out as well. Kevin, thanks for joining me in this episode. How are you? I'm doing good. Thank you, Chris, for having me today to shed some light on this subject. It's something that I think has been needed for a long time. So thank you for having me. Well, I appreciate you giving us your insight into this. Kevin's joining us from Texas for this episode. Kevin, Give me some background on your work on predator investigations prior to the Dateline collaboration and sting in Murphy in November 2006. My background started very innocently, and I blame it all on you, Chris, because my wife and I were sitting at home one night and we were watching TV and subsequently one of your To Catch a Predator series come on and I was only a six-month police officer at the time, so 
I was really busy with life and trying to make my way in a brand new career path. And I guess I just had not seen it. And looking back, I know it had been out for, I guess, about two years, if I'm correct. And the more I watched it, the more I was just astonished at what was going on. And so being the research nerd that I am, I started digging into just how prevalent the issue is of online solicitation of minors. And the numbers were just mind boggling. First, it has no socioeconomic boundaries. There's as we the person we're talking about here today is a classic example of that. But so I put together a tremendous amount of data and I took this information to our chief at that time, Chief Myrick. And I said, you got to look at this. And it was literally on a yellow legal pad. I had scribbled a bunch of notes and I said, I would like to do this. I said, this perverted justice works with law enforcement. They have a proven track record. Here's their link. Here's all of their convictions, everything. I said, this is something we really, I feel, need to address. And he said, give me a couple of days and come back and we'll discuss it. So I gave him the allotted amount of time and he called me back in his office and he says, please work. Everybody goes by the last name. He said, Carter, I want you to do this, but I don't want you to leave Murphy. You can only touch the neighboring cities. Well, Murphy sits right next to Plano, Richardson, Garland, Wiley. So we were a suburb of Dallas. And he said, you, you can't leave Murphy. I said, okay. So I contacted perverted justice again. I said, okay, this is, we got a green light. However, here are the stipulations, and I laid those out. You can't use any profanity. You can't do this. You know, you can't entice them. They have to come to you. You can't solicit a visit. They have to offer that up. All of the things that we wanted to show that when we caught these individuals, it was, for lack of a better term, an airtight case, which there's no right. such thing. It's the basic rules that were always in place with perverted justice and with any decoy operation that we've done. Since then, which is the decoy can never make the first contact. The potential predator always raises the specter of sex first and has to introduce the idea of meeting in person, which is the threshold that we've always used. Right. So we started out and immediately I had two right out the gate that both agreed to meet in Murphy. However, they never showed up. And the first one was Philip Schlegel. And then the other one was Jose Guevara. And so when they didn't show up, I was really bummed out because I was pretty pumped up about what I had just got permission to do. And I really felt like, you know, my, my mindset going into this was if I save one child, it's all worth it. And one of those children could have been mine because I had two young sons at the time. So when they didn't show up, a couple of days went by and of course, we had so much information on them. I called both of them on the telephone and said, hey, it's Officer Carter, Murphy PD. I need to come down here and talk to me. And both of them willingly walked into the PD and sat down and let me interview them. And subsequently, after the interview, Jose Guevara, Jose Antonio Guevara was convicted and is still a registered sex offender with the state of Texas. And I believe he, he was convicted in Dallas County. And the other gentleman, Philip Schlegel, that one turned into a, a whole issue with venue and jurisdiction and all that. So we ultimately was not able to get a conviction on him because Collin County was going to try the case. They realized this guy lived right 
on the line, and they didn't realize it was on the Dallas County side. Now, with this sting in November 2006, one of the things I remember going in was that it was an election season, obviously. Yes. And that there were a number of local elections involving district attorneys. And one of the commercials actually was talking about how one of the DA candidates was going to crack down on online predators. And they had a commercial, literally, where law enforcement came into a guy's room and arrested him on the computer. And the the notion was that he was soliciting children online. In real life, we had 25 men in the course of three days surface in the Murphy sting. There was a teacher. There were a number of other very interesting characters. And obviously, Lewis William Conrad, Bill Conrad. What was your actual role in the sting? My role was the, the liaison between perverted justice and the police department. I was the final ultimate say whether a person was picked up or let go or what have you. If there was enough information to meet the elements of the offense, if we had what we needed of all the eyes were dotted and the T's were crossed, everything like that. That was what Myrick had tasked me with because I had had the prior experience with the four arrests before the sting. One of them, the two I just mentioned, and then the other gentleman, Mr. Adam Check, who worked for the Department of Defense, and then also Dr. Ollie Vagefi, who was ultimately, I didn't even realize when I did this, that he was on a terrorist watch list and was prosecuted by the federal government over this case. So I was the guy that basically said yes or no. And one of the things backing up a little bit, you mentioned the election thing. Myrick, Chief Myrick and I went to the district attorney's office and spoke to a assistant over there by the name of Milner. And he was a very nice guy. We've done a lot of work with him on cases. And he was kind of like our, him and Doris Berry. They were kind of our go-to people when we had any kind of issues. And Myrick had taken me along because of, of my experience in the previous four cases. And he had talked to him about what we were going to do. This was after Dateline had contacted us to do this. And Milner's exact words to Chief Myrick was, yes, we will prosecute those cases. No problem. And this is someone with the district attorney's office who promised you up front that they would go after these cases and prosecute them. Absolutely. But later it became controversial and something happened where the actual district attorney there said, well, we'll take these on a case by case basis. He seemed to back off just a little bit, even before the investigation said he'd prosecute him if he felt there was enough evidence. and then. Obviously, when the suicide took place, when Bill Conrad killed himself during the arrest, he backed off and decided not to prosecute those cases. Is that the way you saw it go down? That is correct. Milner actually worked for John Roach and Doris Berry also worked for John Roach. And after the whole thing blew up and Conrad had committed suicide and then the infamous Esquire article came out, Assistant DA Doris Berry was quoted in the Esquire article as saying that there was no evidence that either the suspect or the decoy was present within Collin County, which we know without a shadow of a doubt was not true because they were set up in the house on Mandeville Drive in Murphy. I physically walked in and saw all of the information 
That is where the chats happened. That is where the perverted justice people would come out because I was one of the takedown guys in the U-Haul truck outside. So they were running back and forth with information. They were screening through me to find out if they could go forward with it or not. And so for her to say that in that article was nothing more, in my opinion, than just an outright lie. Well, there were a lot of inaccuracies in that Esquire article, and we're going to get to that in just a few minutes here. Right. More of our story in a moment. I was very fortunate in high school to have a couple of very good Spanish teachers, and I excelled. I actually took honor Spanish. But high school, for me and for many of you, was a very long time ago, so I need a refresher. Now, thanks to Babbel, the language learning app that sold more than 10 million subscriptions, there's an addictively fun and easy way to learn a new language or brush up on one you have some experience with. Whether you'll be traveling abroad, connecting in a deeper way with family, or you just have some free time, Babbel teaches bite-sized language lessons that you'll actually use in the real world. Babbel's 15-minute lessons make it the perfect way to learn a new language on the go, especially if you travel like I do. Other language learning apps use AI for their lesson plans, but Babbel lessons were created by over 100 language experts. Their teaching method has been scientifically proven to be effective. With Babbel, you can choose from 14 different languages, including Spanish, French, Italian, and German. Babbel's speech recognition technology helps you to improve your pronunciation and accent, and it comes with a 20-day money-back guarantee. Can't lose. Start your new language learning journey today with Babbel. Right now, save up to 60% off your subscription when you go to babbel.com slash Hanson. That's babbel.com slash Hanson for up to 60% off your subscription. Babbel. Language for life. The sting caused some controversy before we could even get started. I remember showing up on the scene and there were actually some neighbors protesting outside the sting house. Now that was all taken care of and we were able to, to conduct the sting. And amazingly, as I mentioned earlier, we still had 25 guys surface in this investigation. The notion apparently was that People didn't want these guys brought into their neighborhood. Our argument always is that's going to be the safest neighborhood in America after we finish doing the sting operation. What was your feeling about that little protest, that little dust up in the beginning? You know, that was a problem working in a community like Murphy is you had so many people there that felt like they were entitled to tell the police how to do their job. And they just had that sense of entitlement that they could do what they wanted to do and make us as police officers do what it is they wanted them to do because it was their tax dollars, which in in reality, that's not how that works. And we all know that. But one of the things that came out of this was a staggering number of how many people was actually being chatted with during this sting operation. One of the PJ volunteers had told me that they had over 700 people that they were chatting with during this operation. And we were only able to catch 25 of them. But the people doing the protests like that, what they failed to realize was, is when we had the town hall to let people come in and the infamous video, you hear one of the Murphy citizens 
stand up and say, don't mess with Murphy. There was a lady in that actual audience that came up to me and gave me a hug. And she said, I want to thank you for what you have done. I said, you're very welcome. You know, she introduced herself to me and she proceeded to tell me that she lived in the very neighborhood that we had done our sting. And she was raising a grandbaby because her daughter had met a guy online out of Ohio. He came down here to Murphy. She snuck out of her house. They had sexual relations. She ended up pregnant. And then when they couldn't figure out who, because the daughter wasn't forthcoming with information, when they figured out who it was, then they went because she was underage, a minor. When they figured out who he was, they went to go and try to prosecute him in Ohio. He was in prison for the same offense in Ohio. So, So what does that tell you right there? There's no boundaries to this. I've read an article and it escapes me where I got it at, but I've read multiple times, but there was an article that this crime is more prevalent than methamphetamines on the street because it's so much easier and it's free. It's basically free. How did you react, Kevin, when you learned that this guy chatting with somebody posing as a 13-year-old boy, Bill Conrad, was an assistant district attorney? That was sickening because we take an oath as a public official. When you take an oath, you put your hand on a Bible and we live in the Bible belt. And my grandfather was a Baptist preacher. So we grew up with that. And so when you take that oath and you pledge that oath to God that you're going to uphold the constitution and the laws and things like that, you're automatically held to a higher standard than everybody else in society whether you're wearing that uniform or not, if you're in the comfort of your home or if you're on duty, wherever you're at, you're held to a higher standard. And for this person to set, I just get a visual of this person sitting in a courtroom, adjudicating somebody and ridiculing somebody across the aisle from them for doing the exact same thing that he's been doing. And that's sickening, in my opinion. I, I just, I can't wrap my head around that. Now, in the initial chat that Conrad has, and this is all traced back to his computer, so this has been confirmed. In the original chat that Conrad has with the decoy, he identifies himself as being 19. He goes by the screen name Inexcess00. He says, I like younger, like for a boyfriend or just sex. Ask the decoy. He says both. It goes on, the conversation does, and there's talk of, You want me to take pics of you, he says. Like naked, says the decoy. Do you want me to? What if you put them on the net? The decoy is very hesitant to send pictures. But this is interesting. Conrad, posing as a 19-year-old, sends naked pictures of a man, not himself, in a way to arouse the decoy, who he thinks is 13 years old. He says, do you like to kiss? Yes. Cuddle. What you mean, says the decoy. Holding each other, feeling all over. I want to, says the decoy. And there's talk of, do you play with yourself? Have you masturbated today? You're hot. And this talk has me up, says Conrad, posing as a 19-year-old. This goes on and on. And then Conrad in a separate conversation where he's posing as a 21-year-old, hits up 
a 13-year-old decoy and has a very similar conversation, raising the specter of phone sex. He says, I'm boned up. So we have two different conversations with an assistant district attorney where he knows he's talking to somebody or he thinks he's talking to somebody who's 13 about sex. And there are phone conversations. We'll get into those in a minute. The fact that he's posing in one conversation as a 19-year-old and in another conversation as a 21-year-old, does that get him off the hook in any way, Kevin, in terms of breaking the law? No. The reason that the decoy was 13 on that is because under Texas law, if you're 13 or under, it becomes a second-degree felony. 14 and over becomes a third-degree felony. So what I had said was when we started this, you know what, if we're going to catch fish, we want the biggest fish we can catch for the most amount of punishment we can possibly dole out. This particular guy, there is a defense to prosecution in Texas. It's called the Jack and Jill law that if a person is within three years of age of the individual, then that's not an automatic out. That's just a defense to prosecution. But this wouldn't even apply to that being 13 to to 19 because that makes it six years. But the irony of that, I mean, that chat started at 9.02 a.m. And at 9.03 a.m., the decoy revealed themselves as a 13-year-old male within a minute of the conversation starting, So, which is what they did on every chat. And so they knew exactly what they were doing. And it's hard to get in the mind of somebody like this because there are so many unknowns as to what makes these type of people click. One of the things you'll notice if you go to the perverted justice site and look at all the logs on this guy, there are three verification recordings. I'm the reason there are three on there because as I stated earlier, I was the one when they brought these to me when I realized they knew right up front who this guy was. And when they brought this to me, I was like, "Uh uh-uh, we're not going down this road. We got to have some more information. I want to make sure we're doing the right thing. And we've got to be rock solid on evidence, everything. Do a little bit more. And they did. They went back. They got a second call. They brought that back to me. I listened to it. I was just like, if this is who we believe it is, and I truly believed at that point in time it was, let's take it one step further and make sure we push it plumb over the top where when it gets into a courtroom, we have no reasonable doubt whatsoever that this guy could ever walk free. And that's why you see three phone calls on there. Let's play some of those recordings now. First, he talks about what each of them is doing, what kind of underwear they're wearing. Hey, is this Will? Yeah. Hey, Will, this is Luke. How are you? Hey, how are you? I'm good, thanks. What are you doing? Uh, nothing. What's going on? Nothing much. No? No. Did you get the dogs walked? Yes, I did. I sure did. Yeah. They're pretty tough to do, you know? (laughs) Well, for 50 bucks, just getting around. Yeah, I can't complain, you know? (laughs) So what are you doing? Not anything. Well, actually, I'm sort of watching a football game, but kind of not also. Oh, yeah. So what are you doing? Uh, just sitting around, chilling, you know, hanging around. So you're just going to stay there all day? Yeah, probably. 
Probably. I got nothing much else to do, you know? Just never can tell. Something might come up. Well, something might. <laughs> those pictures that you sent, those are pretty hot. Oh, did you like them? Yeah, I sure did. I sure did. You have any more? What did you like? I liked every bit of them. Oh, really? Yeah. Every bit. Uh, any particular picture you liked? You'll send me any kind of picture I like? Yeah. Yeah? Can I make any specific requests? <laughs> well, how about I request that you surprise me? Oh. What would you like? What's that? What would you like? What type of picture would you like? He's engaging in what appears to be a grooming process. Absolutely. And then it turns very graphic. You're going to fuck me? Started. Huh? huh? Say again, I'm sorry. I said, are you going to fuck me? I'd like to if you let me. Well, of course. Well, then let's go. So did I get to fuck you too? If you do want to. Of course. Well, then I guess I like you. <laughs> Hmm. Okay, condoms, anything else? I don't know if you think of anything. Bring it. Surprise me. Okay, I'll surprise. Bring presents. Huh? Bring me some type of present. <laughs> yeah. So do you have your dick out? No, I don't have it out. Are you playing with it? Well... Is that a yes, well? A little bit. (laughs) There's no mistaking intent here in these verification calls. None at all. I will tell you, out of the four arrests that I made leading up to this thing, these phone calls with Conrad were the worst of the worst. And I don't just say that because that's who we're talking about today. I've heard them all. I've seen every chat log there is on every one of them. And he was the worst of the worst. And I encourage anybody that is listening or, you know, may have a doubt, just do your homework on it and listen to it because it is unbelievable what a man in this capacity and his job is doing online with what he believes wholeheartedly is a 13-year-old boy. Is there any doubt in your mind that at least at some point during the conversation, and the conversation is really in Texas and many other states where the solicitation occurs and where the law is broken, correct? Correct. Is there any doubt in your mind that at some point Conrad actually intended to go visit this boy and have sex? No doubt at all. But yes, there was intent because there was a arranged meeting that he was coming to the house. We were put on full alert that after we had basically crossed all of the hurdles that I felt was necessary to have enough evidence to convict this guy. Once we got him, he had committed to coming to the house and then he went radio silent. We later learned after everything that 
prior to him leaving his home in Terrell to come to the house, a family member had shown up at his house unannounced and invited him to dinner. And that is the only reason I believe from what we know now that he did not show up. I have no doubt in my mind he was coming to that house. And the family member was who? I was informed that it was his sister. His sister. Is that the same sister who ultimately sued? That is what I was told. Yes, that's what I was Patricia informed Conrad. of. Correct. Okay. So you believe that Bill Conrad, the assistant district attorney from a neighboring county, was going to meet this boy, who he thought was a boy, Luke, posing as a 13-year-old for sex, and that he would have showed up at the Stinghouse in Murphy had it not been for his sister showing up and wanting to go to dinner. Yes, because it was an abrupt, if you look at the, even the PJ volunteers that were working the case, they said he just dropped. It was radio silent. He went off air and no more communication, which now knowing what we know, that is very indicative of somebody that got interrupted. So if he was sitting in the comfort of his home, which is what leads these people down these rabbit holes for you know lack of a better term they get very comfortable behind that keyboard in the privacy of their home and at the minute that somebody knocked on that door and it interrupted that seclusion or privacy the anonymity um, yeah he had to stop he had to stop immediately because there's no way he wanted his sister to find out what he was doing he didn't want anybody to find that out and so the investigation that was done after the fact was what had discovered is that's why he did not come to the house is because he was interrupted. Why was it important from a law enforcement standpoint to go to Conrad's home the next day on a Sunday and arrest him? It was imminent to do that from an evidentiary standpoint because the, every second that passed, evidence could and most likely was being destroyed now, we all know in 2006, the digital footprint and what we know then or knew then is way different than what we know now. Nothing now that's deleted is really deleted. We have become so sophisticated in our electronics now. that it recovering. That, yeah, recovering that. In 2006, the technology just was not as dominant as it is now. So evidence was the key factor in, in preserving that evidence and getting everything that we could to make the case that we knew we had. And that was the whole reason to do this. And more importantly, because of the fact of who this guy was and just the sheer nature of the calls and the sheer vulgarity, but audacity. And this guy is a definite, if you define predator, by opinion, this guy's picture should be next to it. And was there any evidence or information suggesting that Conrad was already deleting evidence? That was information that we had been told that that was probably happening. That he was deleting profiles and things yes. like that. Yeah, there were profiles that were disappearing. And as a law enforcement officer, and we had one of the best detectives in the business working at Murphy PD, Snow Robertson. He was a sergeant there. He had worked with the FBI, Joint Terrorism Task Force, just an awesome guy. And this guy was as sharp as they made him. And when he found out what was going on, 
he was the one that said, hey, you know, Myrick, you know, this is something we really need to get on to preserve the evidence that we're losing. And at the point in time that they discovered that profiles and things like that were being deleted, that's when they decided to go and get him. Did anybody at Perverted Justice or NBC tell the Murphy PD, you have to go get the warrant, you have to arrest him on that Sunday? Absolutely not. You don't have that authority with me. You didn't have it then. You don't have it now. That's not how we work. That's not the oath we took. And that's not how that worked. We were working in conjunction with perverted justice to catch predators. And that's exactly what we were doing. It was very clear from the word go that Murphy PD was in charge. It was our call every step of the way. And on that scene out there where we were in that truck taking those predators down, I was the final say out there by the chief's word. I was the one that said, you know, we can arrest this guy, bring this guy. Yeah, we'll take him down. That's plenty of information. That's enough evidence. Yes, we can get him. No. Perverted Justice did what we said to and Dateline NBC. I mean, they were just along for the ride. They were only capturing what we were doing. There was no input from their part whatsoever that would have swayed our decision on this deal. Why not wait until Monday morning and arrest Conrad at the district attorney's office? Several reasons. First, as I mentioned, evidence. You can almost, I would bet you my last dollar, there would be no evidence left. Monday morning, there would probably be no Bill Conrad. There was a flight risk of this person. I mean, this guy knows the law better than anybody else. This guy has prosecuted people for this exact offense. Do you honestly believe that this guy was going to show up to work knowing that he is a target of a sting operation? He knows that he has already been busted. Otherwise, why would he be deleting profiles? He knew what was going on. So waiting for this guy was not an option. Well, that was one of the most absurd things to me about the argument that somehow Dateline, my producers, or I wanted to do this quickly on a Sunday. To me, and I'm just being honest, just take it from a purely journalistic television sensational standpoint. To me, the most sensational video is the Murphy PD marching into the district attorney's office on a Monday morning and grabbing Bill Conrad. Absolutely. That's the shot you want. I mean, the the shot we had was waiting on the curb on a public place, knowing that this arrest warrant was going to be executed and they were going to arrest a man who appeared to be an assistant district attorney by the name of Bill Conrad. Now, obviously we knew to be in the neighborhood, but was there any indication when the arrest team went in that he knew this was a dateline sting that we were involved or did he just think, and it's hard to know, obviously we don't know what was in his mind precisely, but was there any indication that the presence of television cameras somehow is connected to his committing suicide? I don't believe it had anything to do with that. I think that was already a predetermined idea the minute the police showed up to that door because the minute 
he looked out the window and saw the sergeant who he had known for, in the sergeant's words, I believe over 20 years, saw him at his door on a Sunday. And by the way, the police work seven days a week. So in reality, Sunday really had no relevance on the facts of why we went or why RFPD went to pick him up. It was surely a preservation of evidence. And when he looked out that window and saw his buddy of 20 plus years standing there knocking on his door, he knew what was going on. I don't know for sure in his mind if he saw those cameras, but I will tell you right now, any channel, TV channel that you turn on right now, and they're filming any incident across the nation, the film crews stand at the curb. That is a place they have a right to be. That's a public right-of-way. We had no right to tell you you couldn't be there as a journalist. That's not what we do. We're not violating somebody's rights to protect somebody else. We can't do that. What professional courtesy or consideration went into the arrest of Bill Conrad because he was an ADA? Well, Sunday morning when I showed up at the station, and I want to give a shout out to all of the men and women at Murphy PD because so many of those folks worked their tails off to make this happen and just really got deflated after everything kind of went south. But the men and women of that department were second to none. They were an awesome team. I got in that morning and Chief Myrick and Lieutenant and, and Sergeant Robertson were talking that they were going to go to Terrell and execute a warrant, an arrest warrant for Mr. Conrad. And I said, I would like to go. And Myrick said, no, you stay here. Your job is on the scene. I need you to take care of that out there. We are extending him a professional courtesy because of who he is and only the brass from here is going. He, how did Myrick put it? He deserves that from us. And so I was not allowed to go on that because of that reason. So the chief, the lieutenant, and the sergeant were the only three from Murphy PD that went out of professional courtesy to Bill Conrad. The arrest team goes in. I'm outside in the street with my crew. And as best as you can describe, you weren't there, you were at the house still. But I have an account, obviously, from both the lieutenant on the scene and the chief later. As the crew comes in, they're greeted at some point by Conrad. What happens? The gentleman that was on the SWAT team that actually made entry into the house reported that he met Conrad in a hallway. Conrad entered one in the hallway. This officer entered in a tactical position the other end of the hallway. And Conrad had a small caliber pistol in his hand. And he reportedly told the tactical officer, I'm not going to hurt any of you and stuck the pistol to his head and pulled the trigger, which if I'm not mistaken, it was reported you guys heard the shot from outside. You know, it's interesting because I think back to that and I think I heard something, but I'm not exactly sure what I heard. Right. I remember the lieutenant coming out and being ashen gray as we all were. I don't care whether, I do care whether somebody is the predator and potentially harming children, but nobody wants to see anybody commit suicide, whether it's an ADA, whether it's a teacher, whether it's a bad guy of any sort, you don't want to see somebody take their own life. No. And, and it was shocking. It took your breath away. I remember immediately the chopper came in, the life flight came in to take him away. We got on the phone with our brass, said, look, this is what's happened. We're going to report this tomorrow morning on the Today Show. 
the Texas Rangers showed up. And this is what I remember most. And some of these quotes, for instance, from the lieutenant were taken out of context. And ultimately, the tapes were turned over to authorities to investigate the matter. But Texas Rangers were there because it involved somebody involved in law enforcement. Right. That's standard protocol. And, and it got heated and they were demanding tapes from my crew. And the protocol for us is we will preserve everything. Just get us a subpoena. Right. And once we're served with a subpoena, we'll turn everything over. And I remember the cameraman specifically. He was a guy we worked with a ton from Houston. And I said, you're all right. And he said, yeah, but I'm a little startled. I said, why? He said, the guy from the Texas Rangers said to me when I told him I couldn't turn over the tapes, he said, well, how about if you, and I'm paraphrasing here, how about if you one night are near your bathroom and you find a bullet in your head, how are you going to feel? And it was an implied threat that you better turn over the damn tape. And I talked to this particular Texas Ranger later when we confirmed probably what was the real reason or one of the real reasons that Bill Conrad took his own life which was ultimately on the computer, there was child pornography. Correct. More of our story in a moment. My mother sadly passed away a few years ago, but I am incredibly fortunate to have a wonderful mother-in-law, Mikey. And I thought I knew Mikey pretty well. But one day we were chatting and I heard a story I've never heard before. And that got me wondering how many other stories don't I know? And that's why I got Mikey StoryWorth. StoryWorth is an online service that helps you and your loved ones connect through sharing stories and memories and preserves them for years to come. And there are a lot of them. Every week, StoryWorth emails your mom a thought-provoking question of your choice from a vast pool of possible options. After one year, StoryWorth compiles all those questions and stories, including photos, into a beautiful keepsake book the whole family can share for generations. And this I find really, really important as we get ready to celebrate Mikey's 80th birthday. Give all the moms in your life a meaningful gift you'll both cherish for years. StoryWorth. Right now, for a limited time, you'll save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash Hanson. That's S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash Hanson, H-A-N-S-E-N. To save $10 on your first purchase, storyworth.com slash Hanson. Describe as best you can what was on that computer that would have constituted child pornography that in Texas at the time would have, if found guilty of possessing this material, would have been 10 years per image in prison. The irony of the forensics that were done on the computer, they were sent off. Our team of detectives that we had there, they preserved all of the evidence. Not only was child pornography found on his computer, but it was also found on his cellular device that he had at his home. But the forensics on that computer took a very, very long time to get back. And we were just, every time I would talk to one of the detectives later to find out, you know, what was on there, which we all had a pretty good idea after looking at the chat logs and hearing the phone calls and knowing everything that had transpired, 
we had a pretty good idea in our heads of what we were probably going to see, but that was just an idea. We didn't know until we actually saw the evidence. And it seemed like it took an enormous amount of time to get that information back. And we now know why it took so long. But the why did it take so long? There was evidence uncovered on the computer because if you recall, let me back up just a little bit. When this happened, you had mentioned about the reason why we didn't wait till Monday to go to his office. Well, he worked for a gentleman in Rockwell County, which the two counties, Kaufman County, where Terrell is, and Rockwell County, where he worked, they're contiguous. They sit next door to each other. So his boss was Ray Sumro. And Ray Sumro got on. He was the actual district attorney. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. He worked, but he was Bill Conrad's boss. And he got on national TV and blasted Chief Myrick and the Murphy PD for not waiting until Monday morning. Now, this is a guy that knows evidence and the procedural process to preserve evidence. And it was just shocking to me that he would do that. We have a deal called fruit of the poisonous tree. So if an officer has a right to be where they're at, if they discover something that is pertaining to another crime, they have a right to that evidence at that point in time. So our warrant was for child pornography and the chat logs and things like that. What was discovered in that computer was what ultimately got Ray Sumro in trouble for embezzling money from Rockwell County. And this is important, so I just want to go over this in detail. So not only did the analysts, the forensics people, find child pornography on Conrad's computer, they found evidence that Conrad's boss had committed a crime himself, a financial crime. Is that correct? Yes. The actual case that was filed against Mr. Sumro was actually spawned off of one of his employees, Cherie Jones. Cherie Jones, she had actually stole $3,000 of public money, which she used to pay her mortgage. And when the Rockwell chief deputy was talking to her during her interview, which is typical in an interview, is there anything else you want to tell me? It's something that police do. I know journalists do. Is there anything else we need to know? And Miss Jones was quoted as saying, you need to look at Ray Sumro. And they did. What did they find on Conrad's computer that turned out to be evidence of wrongdoing by his boss, Ray Sumro? They never come right out and showed us exactly what it was that they had. Typically, we could send a computer in because, like I said, I had four cases prior to this. We could send them in for forensics. Oftentimes, we would have one of the guys from Collin County Sheriff's Department would come to the PD and do the forensics because he had a program. He could do it right there at the station and give us the evidence on a DVD at that time, because that's where we were at in 2006. But then after all of this information came out, that's when the whole thing with Ray Sumro came to light, because this 2006 criminal investigation, this is exactly when Bill Conrad's computer was confiscated in 2006. So the idea is that they also found, besides the child porn, information on that computer that led yes. to the prosecution of Conrad's boss, Ray Sumro, for financial crimes, essentially embezzlement from his office, for which he was convicted and spent time in federal prison. Correct. The irony of all of that is because he was a district attorney in Rockwall County, 
they appointed a special prosecutor to prosecute the prosecutor. (laughs) And the special prosecutor that Judge Brett Hall in Rockwell County, he recused himself of that case, which he should have. But the special prosecutor that was appointed to that case was none other than John Roach. John Roach, who was the DA who declined to prosecute cases in the Murphy Sting. Correct. Who I talked to. Yes. And asked for an interview as to why, and he declined that interview. He obviously was not happy that all this was taking place. But just in summation, so people get this, Bill Conrad had child porn on his computer. And then there was also information leading to the prosecution of his boss, Ray Sumro. And all of this was investigated by John Roach, who was the DA himself in the county where the Murphy Sting took place. That's insane. One of the quotes from the judge that actually presided over Sumro's case, and I'm going to quote from the article here, is this is actually from the Texas District and County Attorneys Association. He's speaking to Sumro at his sentencing. He says, certainly a great deal of suspicion hung over your tenure in office, Mr. Sumro. You're held to a much higher standard. I expect over your 22 years as a district attorney, you have sent people to prison for far less than the charges that are against you here today. I only wish that the courts would have had the same opportunity to make that statement to Bill Conrad, but he didn't give them that opportunity. So the judge in the Sumro case was basically saying that Bill Conrad took the easy way out because he would have faced criminal charges stemming from this investigation or should have. There's a saying in police work, innocent men don't kill themselves. I know suicide is a a terrible thing for anybody, but there is a reason this person took that way out. I think at that point in time, he did not believe that there was any other way for him to get out of this scenario that he had put himself in. This is what I want everybody to remember about this guy. He chose to do this. Nobody asked him to do that. Nobody forced him to do that. This guy did this on his own accord. This guy, I mean, it's irreprehensible what this guy did, not only as a human being, but as a human being that held the title and position that he did, sitting across that aisle and looking at people that have done the same thing that he knew he was doing, because I can promise you without a shadow of a doubt what I have learned in my career doing these crimes And I know, Chris, you can attest to this. They always say this is the first time when they show up. This was not his first rodeo. Between the time of Conrad's suicide and the discovery, or at least the acknowledgement of the discovery of child pornography on his computer, there was a hit piece, at least I think it was a hit piece, done by Esquire magazine. Yes. There was an equally just irresponsible piece done by ABC 2020. And that's ironic for a lot of reasons. And there was a lawsuit filed by Conrad's sister seeking $105 million against Dateline NBC. Now there was a settlement in that case, so I'm somewhat limited to what I can say, but I can tell you this. What does it say about a lawsuit that is announced on Bill O'Reilly's show on Fox? A guy who ends up being essentially dismissed <laughs> for being a predator. So they want as much attention on this lawsuit as possible. What happened was, and you probably can explain this way better than I can, but from on the outside looking in, 
my perception of it was, is that you guys were front center on a horrific incident and exposed the underbelly of a very corrupt district attorney's office, not only the DA, but the assistant DA. And you guys were right there and it just unfolded right in front of you. And the only thing they could do at that point in time to try to compete with all of that was to slander it and to try to to minimize it and make it dirty, almost, if you will. When in reality, you guys just happened to be in the wrong place at the right time, I guess. Well, I, you know, look, I have sympathy for Patricia Conrad. Absolutely. You know, suicide is a horrible tragedy. Having somebody involved in predatory activity is a horrible tragedy. We did not cause his suicide. And the lawsuit ultimately, after much research, NBC lawyers put a lot of time into it, won two or three mock trials. Essentially, the lawsuit was settled for much, much less than the amount which was included in the initial filing. And the reason why news divisions do that is because when you settle something for so much less money. When you settle it, that comes from an insurance policy. If you go to trial to fight it, it comes out of the news budget. It's a business decision. And I didn't like the decision. I'm just being honest with you. My boss didn't like the decision. My colleagues didn't like the decision. But ultimately, we grew comfortable with it because we didn't spend months in court. It was a better decision for the news division. And you go in front of a jury There are all kinds of issues. I will also say that the U.S. District Judge at the time, Denny Chin, clearly had a bias, and you can read this in the ruling against NBC. He didn't think, and he used critical reporting that was incorrect, factually incorrect, about that in his ruling. And I've been told since then that, sadly, that judge had a close relative who may have also ended his own life. And that was never disclosed publicly. And you wonder, is that something that should have caused a recusal? It's all done. It's water to the bridge. We move on. But in the course of this, Esquire did an article, no acknowledgement about the child born, rather a hatchet job. ABC 2020 did a piece, another hatchet job. And the irony of the ABC piece is that ABC tried to steal the Predator franchise from NBC because of its popularity. They had a producer who was assigned to do nothing but that. I spent half of a family vacation on the phone securing contracts with our hidden camera people and perverted justice so they would stay at NBC because ABC was trying to hire them away. So suddenly they can't get it, so they're going to try to dismiss it. Right. And they played with the timeline. They didn't acknowledge the child pornography. They certainly weren't aware of the corruption evidence that came out of the laptop. And they relied upon the statements of a disgruntled former Murphy police officer. And you know who this is. Oh, yes. Yeah, I know you're talking about how the guy stayed a cop as long as he did. I'll never know. It's flabbergasting. The lawsuit. Also, they did not mention that Murphy was actually dropped from the lawsuit because there was no wrongdoing. They didn't identify any wrongdoing on Murphy PD's part. So we were ultimately exonerated, which they don't come back and report that. No, no, they don't. Nor do, do many people report the fact that some of the elements of the lawsuit against NBC 
were dropped as well. Right. But what stays in there was this allegation that somehow NBC's coverage gave a special intensity to what the police did on the scene, which I know is not true. And clearly from what you have said in this interview, you don't believe to be true either. It's a sad situation. Like I said, my heart and everything goes out to Miss Conrad because she is a victim twice. As does mine. Yeah. And she had no idea. I'm convinced she had no idea that her brother was doing what he was doing. And then she was a victim again because instead of facing punishment, he elected to do what he did as far as killing himself. So, you know, my heart does go out to her and I hate that. The news media never went back and reported that the attorney that actually represented her, Mr. Woods, Patricia, Mr. Woods actually got married. So it's just a tangled web. Every time you turn a corner, there's another twist to this story. And, you know, what does that have to do with anything? Who knows? And I've just learned yesterday, Mr. Woods has since passed away. So it's a sad deal. There's no real winners in this particular situation. Well, there are a couple of things that I want to clear up in the reporting of this. And I think the most important thing is the realization that, in fact, there was child pornography on this computer. I think it's also important to note that there was evidence, apparently, that led to the successful prosecution of Conrad's boss in the ultimate irony here, one of the ultimate ironies. And also that, for some reason, this incident led to the cancellation immediately of the Predator franchise, which it did not. I mean, we went on afterwards and did at least three successful investigations of that particular version of Predator. We've done several since then, obviously. So any regrets looking back about being involved in this investigation, about pitching it to your boss, about the commitment to these sorts of investigations, Kevin? Not one. I will tell you, and Myrick, Chief Myrick and I, he's retired now, and he and I are still good friends. We keep in touch, as do I with a lot of the men and women that worked at Murphy PD at that time. Lieutenant Barber, she's still there, but Sergeant Robertson, he's retired. But I have no regrets whatsoever because I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt, every man and woman that suited up for those days to go out there was out there for one reason, and that was to catch bad guys and put them in jail. They never intended for this to go this way. This is the thing that bothers me is, yes, Mr. Conrad did take his life. That's a decision he made. We had no control over that whatsoever. Who's to say that we didn't show, you know, you could what if this to death, but if you showed up at his work at the courthouse on Monday, Who's to say he, you know, you confront him in the parking lot and he had a pistol in his briefcase and he killed himself in the parking lot. Or he went home that night and did it. Yeah. So you can paint this any way you want, but if you stick to the facts of the case, the facts are the guy got caught doing wrong in a horrific manner. And based off of the information we received and the the photographs that were on the phone and the computer, This was not his first time. What I've told many people was this was truly a victimless crime because there were no actual victims in it. They were posing as 13-year-old kids and things like that. So to me, this was the best scenario 
as a police officer because we could actually solve crimes and get these kind of people off the street without endangering children. A great case in point was one of the four I'd done prior to the sting. When there was a jurisdictional issue, it got moved to Dallas County, and the guy that they sent to represent Murphy in the grand jury indictment, because I was on vacation when that happened, didn't do what he was supposed to do. So they wound up no-billing the guy. So the guy left Texas, went to Louisiana, where he then molested two children in Jefferson County Parish. So had we done what we were supposed to do with Dallas County at that point in time, could we have stopped the actual molestation of two children? I would like to think we could have, but, you know, I I guess we'll never know. But to answer your question, I would do it again in a heartbeat if I had an opportunity to. Kevin Carter, thank you so much for joining me and giving us this insight. Kevin, as I mentioned, a 17-year law enforcement veteran, worked for the Murphy Police Department, now an author, Suspicious Death and Adopted Son's Search for His Mother's Killer. He's got another book in the works, and we will have you back on this podcast before too long. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you, sir. As you know, I want to hear from you, and I listen and read all the correspondence and the questions you sent. And this week's question comes from Nikolai in Florida. Hey, Chris, this is Nikolai from Florida. Big fan of the podcast, big fan of the shows. And my question is this. I was a journalist for eight years and I covered a lot of different types of stories. I covered stories that made me angry, stories that almost brought me to tears. And I interacted with a lot of people, some awful human beings that all things being equal, I really wish that I could have just you know, dropped the mic and just smacked him upside the head. And um, my question for you is when you're dealing with these predators, was there ever a time, one particular moment in which you were just seeing red talking to a predator from whatever interaction you're having with them? Or alternatively, was there a certain moment in which you were incredibly sad or just really brought down by the whole thing? Or was there a moment where you were actually scared for your own safety, the safety of the decoy, safety of perverted justice, Tetrad Corps, and uh, the men and women of law enforcement who you're working alongside. So that's my question for you. Big fan, keep it up, and uh, good luck catching the bad guys. That's an excellent question. In terms of people who have made me angry, the rabbi made me angry. A lot of guys made me angry, but the rabbi really made me angry because I watched him saunter into this house at noon on a Wednesday, like he owned the place. And then he had this attitude of defiance and authority, entitlement, because of his perceived moral authority as a clergyman, that he didn't deserve based upon what he was willing to do to a 13-year-old boy. The same was true for this recent cop we caught a few weeks ago in Goodrich, Michigan. I told the crew after he left, before I knew he was a cop, that he was in a position of authority by the way he acted. He was going to tell me how this was going to go, how he refused to be put on camera. Well, he wasn't calling the shots, Todd Baracco, and you'll hear more about him soon. In fact, we're going to do a little piece on the 
YouTube channel. Have a seat with Chris Hansen, and I'll have an announcement on that, but that'll be coming out in the next few days. And that'll also be part of the new Predator series on True Blue, the new streaming crime network I'm doing. In terms of being afraid, well, this podcast, this episode is an example of fear. What can happen when somebody chooses not to face the consequences of their actions? Another time that got pretty tense was when in Kentucky, a predator was trying to leave the house but didn't follow police orders and they tased him. But one of the teaser nodules, I guess you call them, the police went to go tase the guy and one of the actual taser tips did not connect to him and he went back into the house. And so we're watching this from our positions and suddenly this guy comes running back into the house because... He's hearing the click of the taser, but it's not connecting because the other piece didn't attach to him. So the police come into the house, they tackle him, and they put the taser right to his throat, and he stopped. Stopped fussing at that point. But all this happened very quickly. And if you look at that particular episode from the Bowling Green, and we're going to do that soon here in the podcast as well, you can see the look on my face as to this whole operation coming back inside the house. But an excellent question, and obviously, you know, there is some humor here from time to time, but those are the incidents that stick out in my mind. So Nikolai, thanks for checking in on that. A lot to take in in this episode. I'm glad we finally had the discussion about William Conrad, and I'm glad that Kevin Carter came on to talk about his role in the investigation and really give us insight that we've not heard ever before. It's kind of an exclusive look at this case. So I hope you found it as interesting as I did talking to Kevin. Thank you for listening. You can always reach me at Chris at PredatorPodcast.com. I'll be watching and listening.